Bibles to John chapter 6. Um, we have been looking at this uh, situation with um, Jesus where he went to the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5 and he healed a man on the Sabbath that had been sick and lame for 38 years. And the religious system of the time, rather than saying, oh my goodness, this guy has been healed, and rejoicing for the man, and even maybe raising questions in themselves of, of could this be the Messiah that has arrived? Instead of doing that, they made a big deal about a misinterpretation that they had of the Sabbath. And they put their own personal interpretation, their own personal conviction above the teaching of the Word of God. In other words, God, God had given the Sabbath in order to give the nation of Israel rest. The religious authorities, what they did is they took the Sabbath and made it a burden for them. But they were so upset about it that they were ready to kill Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, of bad people, religious bad people are the worst. Never forget that statement of bad people religious bad people are the worst. Now, please understand, it doesn't mean people that love God. It means people that become bigoted, religious, ritualistic, and that put their prejudice above the very word of God. Now, remember, Jesus claims to be the son of God. He is God come down, and it was the religious system that killed him. But he amassed uh, a following. He left Jerusalem and he went up to Galilee. And we saw that while in Galilee, the people were following him. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 6, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So, I mean, the signs of the Christ, the signs of the Messiah, the signs of this prophet that would come, they see his signs and they're like, oh my goodness, could this be the guy? So they begin to follow him because of the signs. Remember, they're following him because of the signs. But then when he saw the people flowing from the different regions of Israel through Galilee in order to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, he saw them and he was moved with compassion because they, he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd and he fed them. He fed 5,000 men. It could have been 9,000 people. And after he fed all of them, he went into the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. He calmed the storm. And listen, he we, we looked at a couple weeks ago. He's showing he is the one after Moses. He gives them food. He gives them manna. 
He calms the storm. That means he, he's from the Red Sea. He's able to, to control the waters. And, and he's showing himself as the one that is greater than Moses. But he feeds them until their hearts are full. Their hearts are full of, 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 of sustenance. And when they see that he's near Capernaum, in John 6, 26, Jesus said to them this, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. So before they followed him because of the signs, now they're saying, Jesus says to him, now you no longer seek me because of the signs. Now you are following me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You followed me because you were full of the food that I provided. So it begins with the signs. It gets to the material need that they had and he feeds them and they're fall and then they're pressing. Wait, can, I, can we get some more food? And Jesus takes them deeper in verse 27. In verse 27 of chapter 6, it says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, for the food which endures, but for the food that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And in verse 35, 48, and 51, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the sustenance. I am the food. I am um, the nourishment of a life that human, not human food, but, you know, uh, earthly food cannot feed. I am the sustenance, the nourishment of a spiritual life. Notice the different motivations that were happening in them and notice how Jesus is taking them deeper, weaning them off those motivations. He humbly manifests himself. He is showing himself as greater than Moses. He is showing himself as the one that Moses looked to. He is showing himself as the ruler of the seas. He is showing himself as the great shepherd. He is showing himself as the very manna from the wilderness. And he's showing himself as the living water. And all that the Pharisees are concerned is that the Sabbath was broken. And you know what? This that was going on that Jesus was doing in them this should be happening in our lives. In other words, at first, we're just kind of curious. My goodness, nobody is like Jesus. You have certain things that you see about Jesus that you think to yourself, my goodness, this guy stands out from anybody else in history. He did certain signs. It pushes us towards him. Then we come to Jesus, and I don't know about you guys, but at least it was like that for me. That is like, okay, Lord, I need help in life. I need these things in life. And then graciously, 
Sometimes God gives us these things. But our lives should not be consumed by being amazed by his signs. Our lives should not be consumed by the fact that he meets our earthly needs. Our lives should be brought deeper with the Lord Jesus where we grow in our knowledge of him. And get this, and Bart said it several times, it was just, it came across several times, but we get to a point where we love him not because of the signs, not because of what he gives us, but because of who he is. C.S. Lewis wrote this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Neither did he intend to. So as people, the goal in our lives is to bring us to a place through the signs, through the incredible provision that God brings into our lives to a place where we, as we search the scriptures and as we experience him, we realize that Jesus is everything, <laughs> that he is the son of God, that, he, that our very breath is in his hands. That everything that we enjoy and everything that we are has been given by him. He is not a genie. Where we just, and I'm, I'm really, I was really hesitant today because I don't want to be in any way weird but when I say he's not a genie, listen, he cares for our, he cares, he cares for us. He provides lavishly with us, for us. But he's not a genie where we're with them merely for that. I need good grades, Lord Jesus. I need finances, Lord Jesus. Then we get finances and good grades. It's like, who's Jesus? <laughs> He's not a genie, although he provides for us. He's more like a parent who provides for his children, but there's a relationship, there's a love, and there's a sense of, of, of the parents saying no to certain things because they're not good, because they're not healthy. <laughs> so not a mechanical genie, but a loving, like a loving parent, he provides for us. 
He's not a magician, although he does supernatural things. I have a friend who, who's, uh, I don't know if he's, if he's a Christian by now or not, but uh, he, I remember once I, I taught the book of Luke in his house and the book of Acts for several, two years, I think. I was at his house every week with his wife. And, um, and at one point he's like, I just don't know if I believe in God. And I said, why? And he says, because I was in the shower and I asked him, if you're real, move the soap. <laughs> He's not a magician. Although we see when we look back in our lives, it's amazing how we see his wisdom and miracles around us. He's not a force. Although he is powerful, but he is a person, an infinitely great person. He is God come down. Notice in chapter 7, verse 5, it says, oh, actually, verse 4 says, for no, verse 3, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Here, is, here the motivations of the heart are so important because they're saying, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, show yourself right now. No one does things in secret. And it says in verse 5, For even his brothers did not believe in him. So they were putting pressure on Jesus. They were seeking certain signs from Jesus because of unbelief. And sometimes we can be motivated by all these different things. But it is important in our lives. Notice in verse uh, 666. At one point when Jesus' teaching got hard, it says that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And in verse 67, it says, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. You see, for, for once, the motivation is like, okay, you got to do what I want, and I don't know, your teaching's just too hard for me. So they say, I know Jesus... Uh, this is just too hard for me. We're not with you anymore. Where with the disciples, what you see is you have people that just realize, oh my goodness. They've seen the, the storm calm. They've seen the 5,000 fed. They've seen the 38-year-old man uh, healed. And they're, they're, they're just seeing these things. They're being nourished. But, but they're, they're moving beyond that. And they're thinking, oh, my goodness, you have the words of eternal life. There's something powerful there. This person is different. This person is, is, is beyond time and space although he's in the physical. How do we ensure that we don't become like those that walk away as opposed to those that say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? And I wrote a couple of things. Number one, 
hugely important. We must be careful of prejudice. Don't let, I, this is going to sound like an oxymoron, but don't let churches dissuade you, religious churches, from who Jesus is. Don't let people that are unbelievers dissuade you from who Jesus is. We can be so against people with prejudice and not be aware of our own prejudices when it comes to the person of Jesus. We should leave prejudice aside. We must be careful as well not to let tradition dictate our lives. Well, we've always done it like this. It doesn't matter what we've always done. What does the Bible say? And we must not be filled with personal convictions that would make us seem more loving than God. It, and this is rampant. This, in ra this is rampant. There's a book that was uh, written and it gave this example of, uh, about uh, this particular case and how could God be so difficult in that situation. And then you, you listen to the person and you almost think, oh my goodness, you are more loving than God is. They can't lay their lives down for anybody. And yet Jesus laid down his life for the world. And we are actually going to say that we love people more than God does. And I think we must be fair in our reading of the scriptures. There's two books that are amazing to me. One is The Case for Christ. The Case of Christ was written by a journalist who was married to a girl that became a Christian. The guy was so outraged that his life was going to become boring and uh, pious that he decided that he was going to research the Gospels as a, as a journalist and prove that they were wrong. So he did, and he was converted. <laughs> then a lawyer, same thing. He was going to build a case of the fact that Jesus was not true, and he took all the legal evidence to disprove Jesus, and at the end, he became a Christian. This, the book is called Who Moved the Stone? But both of them, looking at the evidence as a normal case of, of journalism or of judicial case, came to the conclusion that there's more evidence for this. If you, if you look at the evidence, you let them lead where they go, that actually either Jesus is the Son of God or he was a lunatic. But this needs from us humble hearts. You know, if you know anything in history and you ask yourself, I just don't know if the Bible is true. And you study any history, there are more manuscripts of the Bible and more closer in time from writing to the copies than any other record in history. We need to be humble. We need to have learning hearts. 
we need to be respectful, not just respectful towards other religions, because it, to me it seems like sometimes there's a lot of respect for other religions, but when it comes to Jesus, we use it even, you know, it's amazing how respect goes out the window. In some ways, we can be like teenagers. No, I mean, I'm not saying you're like this as a teenager, but I know as a teenager, there's a phase in my life where I thought I knew everything and nobody else knew anything. I was better than my mom. I was better than my dad. I was better than everybody else. And in some ways, it's amazing how we can think that we are even better than God. But, you know, if we humble ourselves, if we say, you know what, I actually want to learn rather than lecture. And if we are willing to show a respectful heart to just at least the facts, whether it's to look at the prophecies, whether it's to look at the gospels, whether it's to look at the after effects of Jesus, if we humbly pray to God and say, Lord, will you show me? There's an incredible process that begins. And this is what Christianity is to me. Christianity is the incredible process of getting to know Jesus personally. It leads us to realization. You know, I remember people telling me Jesus was the Son of God, and they would try to give me all kinds of illustrations, and I just couldn't get it. But I was open. I, I was a little bit skeptical, but I humbled myself. And I remember just praying, Lord, if this is true, and my goodness a realization began to happen. I began to read the books of the Bible, and all of a sudden, I, had, I needed no one else to convince me. I was seeing how God was answering things that were deep, questions that were deep in my heart that I didn't even know I had, even observations that I didn't even know I had observed, which in turn, the realization led to confession. And this is what I love. Because, you know, confession, we, we just kind of think of confessing our sins and, and something. But, but when it talks to confession in the New Testament, it, it's talking about when you, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's when you, through realization, through the scriptures, through the Spirit of God, come to a point that you say, my goodness, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And then it's not like, it's not like uh, Jesus said, oh my goodness, you've gotten clever. <laughs> no, it says, rejoice for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father that is in heaven. So there was a revelation from God that helped Peter to see through revelation, then the confession came. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this leads to utter wonder and dependence. 
this leads to wonder. The Christian life should never be one of just duty. The Christian life should be one of loving devotion, of, love, of loving God for who he is, of knowing him intimately, personally, and it should be a life of discovery. Listen, I've been married to Loretta now for how many years? <laughs> well, I just got myself in trouble. <laughs> 23 years. It's very easy. We got married in 2000. So just, what year are we? But, you know, when I met Loretta, we got married very quickly. And oh my goodness, I wouldn't advise that to anybody. <laughs> it was rough. I remember arguments that I wish I could forget. But a lot of it is because we just didn't know each other. 23 years on, we know each other deeper. We, I can, I can, she can read me, I can read her. You know, with, with situations, uh, we, we, we protect one another as, as we know it. You know, as we know, as situations or, or, or things, we, we just know how to handle each other in different ways. Why? Because we know each other. And you know what? My life with Loretta has become one of discovering who she is more and more. I know her much better today than I ever have. And I hope I will know her next year better than I know her today. That's our walk with God, guys. Our walk with God is one of love and devotions. It might have its roughness. It might have a, a, its high days. It might have its low days. But I'm not with Loretta for what I can get. Although I, must, I might have been attracted to her at the beginning for looks, for, for, for marriage partner, for companionship, I think you move from that to a deeper thing, which is love. And that's what God wants from us. The reality, the reality is that in our human nature, it is ingrained to be interested in what we desire. Uh, we can be interested in what we desire from a person rather than in the person. And with our Christian walk, we have to realize that and wean ourselves from that and press deeper into the person of God. In Luke 17, I'm going to give you two stories to close. In, in, in Luke 17, verses 11 through 22, as Jesus entered a town, 10 men, as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. They stood afar off because they were supposed to go around going unclean, unclean, because they didn't want to infect other people with the leprosy. And they lifted up their voices from a distance. You can just hear that and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when, they, when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. 
So it, this is incredible because the, 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 the priest would have had um, the law in Leviticus where it, it told you what to do if a leper came that had been cleansed, and that had not happened. That, all, that would only happen when the Messiah came. And these 10 men show up cleansed. And the priest must have thought, we've never done this one before. Could the Messiah be here? But listen, that's not the point. The point is verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. When he saw that he was healed, uh, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Ten get cleansed. One comes back. He falls down at the feet of Jesus and he says, oh, thank you. He glorifies God, confession, realization, gratitude. And then Jesus answered and said, we're not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. You see the gratitude. You see the relationship here. It's not just what I get from God, but rather he brings us to a point where we delight in God. I'm going to give you an extreme case. And I'm not saying this, please, I'm not saying this sadistically. I'm not saying that we are going to go through and we have to go through real painful situations in life. I'm just saying that we are to esteem our relationship with the Lord, our appreciation, our, 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 our relationship with Him when things are good as well as when things are not good. And that proves in that moment that we are not with them just for stuff, but for him, right? Who is the best example in the Bible? Joe. It says there's none righteous like him on the earth, God said about him. There's nobody like this guy. And he lost, this is, he lost his kids, he lost his possessions. He lost um, his health. He lost the support of his wife. His wife said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And then Job says, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Should we receive good days from God and not bad days? In other words, are we just fair weather friends? Who would like to be married to someone that's with you when all is well? Only. What do we say at the altar? In richness and in poorness, in health and in sickness. What's that? For better and for worse. And here this man, and it wasn't easy. He had afterwards his friends and, 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 and he starts 
questioning God. And then God says to embrace yourself like a man. And then he, he, he has this process. He has this humility. He has this willingness to learn. And then he says, oh my goodness, my ear had heard of you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. And I repent in dust and ashes, confession of the greatness of who God is in spite of everything that he had gone through. Marriages can fall apart or succeed. And it's really tested through difficult times. Sometimes they get tested when people get what they want. In prosperity, they get tested. And sometimes they get tested in, in difficulties. But the strength of it is in the strength of the relationship. So this is what I had on my heart today. I could jump into chapter 7, but I'm going to be really good. And, 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 but the thing that I really have is notice the progression. You might be here because of certain signs. You might be here because you have some earthly need and you're praying to God, Lord, help me with this. And he wants to. But listen, he wants to take you even deeper. He wants to take you even deeper with him. He wants to take you into a place where you are in awe of him, in love with him, trusting in him, confessing him. In a sense, get to the point where you just realize, oh my goodness, Yes, being fed by Jesus fish and bread is great, but knowing him is food for my soul. Seeing him enlarges my boundaries so that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his mercy and his grace. All I want to say to thee, allow yourself through humility, through putting prejudice aside, through a teaching spirit to be blessed by God in the way he wants to bless you. If you were to ask my kids today how I could bless them, I can tell you exactly what they would say. Jonathan, my next door neighbor across the way, his parents just bought him an 18,000 euro electric car. He's 15 years old. Jonathan's 13. He's calculating. <laughs> and if you were to ask him how I could bless him, that's what he would say. Lord, bless me with that car. If you were to ask me how I can bless him, it would be far beyond and above that car. That's what God wants with you. If you would, if you would realize that what you might desire, he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all 
you can think or ask. The question is, will you take his blessing or are you going to hold on to yours? Will you have a humble heart, a learning heart? And today we're going to take communion. Their worship band's going to come up. And we're going to take communion together, which at the end of the day, what is communion? Communion is a giving thanks, a giving of thanks, of gratitude for all that he is and all that he has done for us. Now, I want to encourage us today. I want to encourage us, encourage us that as the, as the bread goes by, take it on your own in prayer. Take the bread and thank him for his love for you. Today we sang, there is nothing broken that you cannot repair. And then we sang, the measure of my worth is his love alone. How much are you worth? How valuable are you? Look to the cross. He gave himself, he gave his life for you. So today, when you take the bread, realize that, that is a symbol, not just of his body at the cross. It's a symbol of his love for you. He went because he loves you. And then hold on to the cup. And we'll take it together. But realize, maybe this will be the first time you take it for real. And in your heart, just say, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Open my heart, strip it from prejudice, and fill it with gratitude and love and intimacy with you. Let's sing.